and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. Let's go. Welcome to Timmy Friends once again. No Timmy today as it's a scheduled rest day for the workforce. So your boy got called up off of waivers and it's a big weekend in sports. It means it's a big show. I'm trying my best just to read the prompter, land the plane, do the job. But, but Jesse has this bop that he does to the intro music. And I, I can't take you or myself seriously when you do it. Like your shoulders are not in concert with each other. I was giving you like finger guns almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's good though. It gets a good vibe. You gotta like, it gets everyone a little bit relaxed to start the show, I, th- I think. Sure. I hope. That's why I do it. Okay. So okay. I don't know how it makes you feel other than you like laughing at me, but other than that, it's, it's fine. It just makes me wonder what university was like for you. Like, I went to the same school you went to, bro. I, 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 I'm aware. Yeah. It was, was that it successful? Was, I mean, uh, <laughs> that was a deep sigh. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I did not dance like that at university. Okay. If that's what, so if that's it's it's an acquired taste, and so is the show. And uh, <laughs> they're not going to reacquire me to host it if I continue to filibuster and not stay on task. So it's a two-hour show on Big Sportsnet word. and Sportsnet 360 today. Uh, this hour we're going to talk to Brock Farina on all things NFL. Next hour we catch up with the boy Ricky Romero about Dusty B getting his ring, asterisk getting an asterisk. Uh, maybe, or, or Astros free ring, yeah. finally end the start of free agency as the MLB GM meetings are about to commence. That's sandwiched in between a couple fire features and plays of the week hosted by Jesse. Uh, if you can't watch the entire show, no worries. Watch on demand and or subscribe to the podcast. No matter if you're Team Apple, Team Spotify, or like Jesse... You need a next podcast player just to be different. Oh, right. uh, speaking of which, uh, right? I got you. I, you are uh, Canada's favorite newlywed. Um, no, that was a year ago. Literally, I think when what, it, uh, I had my one-year anniversary, like I don't know. Uh, ooh, this is bad. I should know it. Oh, a week boy. and a half ago. Oh boy! So, so your newlywed status has elapsed. Yeah, I think it's a year actually. Well, your podcast expertise status remains. Mm. Did you know there was another Tim and Friends podcast? I had no idea that was a short run. No. Six episodes. Yeah, that's it. Apparently, okay. uh, it was a guy named Tim who just had conversations with his friends. And really? Out there. Yeah. LeBron said that he listened. So he's that. <laughs> that's very, very good. That's very good. I might have to go back and, and have to listen with Tim. And uh, I mean, that's what that's what Tim strives for on the show. Is that he wants to he wants it to be him speaking with his friends, just like the other podcast. Um, speaking of podcast, you guys gentrified the Tim and Friends space. You just boxed him out. I had and, nothing to do with the name of the show. So okay. I, yeah, I, I can't I take ownership of that. Okay. Um, in addition to all the features that you do here, all the writing that you do on Sportsman.ca, it has come to my attention that you have another challenge and another opportunity, as you put it, today. A new challenge, yes. a new opportunity, same gratitude, soon come. Going deep with Donovan Bennett, a new podcast, and live 11 a.m. Yes. daily Eastern on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, among other stations. So yeah. to that, I give you... The horns, congratulations, my man. I'm sure it'll be great, as is everything else that you do here at this network. Appreciate it, yeah. On uh, 960 and, and 650 across uh, this beautiful country. So, yeah, sh- looking forward to it. Shout out to uh, Capitalist, who made some fire intro music, because, you know, uh, what's a show without 
good intro music. Um, and Ross Morrison, who did the beautiful art. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting after it with Shoali. It is great art. Like, I'm looking at it right now, and you got, there's just, like, stuff going on. You got the, what's it, the kids in the background? Oh, you found a little Easter egg. That is yeah. uh, the little homies in the background. That's is a it, much... Is that a sports net, like, thank you for being here for 15 yeah, years? Probably, yeah, the 15 year, <laughs> yeah, thank you for, thank yeah. you for staying employed. Uh, that's, like, a much uh, younger, stress-free... Donovan Bay right. is what you're looking at with that that smile, Hoodie, and that, yeah. that cheekbone. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's uh, an accurate representation. That's maybe some artist creative license, but I'll, I'll go with it. It's no, it's absolutely excellent. I, I noticed the Kawhi shot in the background as well. Look the Raptors you. logo, the fo- the football helmets, which is is you. So it, it's nailed. It looks great, and I'm sure the show will be fantastic. You've already you. Zapruder filmed the cover art. Of course, as soon as I saw this morning, the first thing I did was like, wow, this is really really well done. Appreciate it, buddy. Of course. Um, what you do very well. Yeah. First things first. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. You want to get going on it? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First Bring it. Uh, we got a lot to get to because the weekend was was busy. So let's get uh, your thoughts on, on some things here. Let's begin with the Houston Astros, who held their championship parade earlier today in Houston after closing out the Phillies in Game 6 on Saturday, winning the second World title, World Series title in franchise history. Many people still feel a certain way about the Astros' first title in 2017. So how do you feel about their win, Beach? Conflicted. Because, I mean, listen, they are a model of consistency. Mm-hmm. Second title, as you mentioned, but two in the last six years, always in contention. But I mentioned off the top the asterisk, which for some people I don't think is fully removed, or they just don't want to see the Astros have nice things. Mm-hmm. But it's tough for me to totally remove myself from being happy for Dusty Baker. Someone who I think was going to be a Hall of Famer regardless. Now it's cemented, signed, sealed, delivered with this championship. The oldest manager ever at 73 years young to win it. I love the toothpick as well. Toothpick, Uh, the gloves, the whole bit. Doing the scorecard has to get that done. And then it's just mobbed, uh, heart rate going right up. But, I mean, I I just love the fact that he, throughout this year and throughout this series, has got his flowers. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who's had a life in the game. He was on deck. Dan Schulman mentions this all the time, as he should. On deck for Hank Aaron when he breaks the record. Hard to believe. Now he's still in the game, seeing the confetti come down. Um, So it's it's happy when everyone's favorite uh, grandfather as a manager uh, gets a ring. So so I was was a bit conflicted. No lie. Yeah, I think a a lot of people who watched that were conflicted as well because it's hard, it's hard to forget what went on with the Astros. And obviously, you, you almost have to be happy for Dusty. I know in our mentions, everybody was happy for Dusty Baker, and rightfully so. He's been through a lot. Like you mentioned, he was on deck. He was also the manager of the Cubs when the Steve Bartman incident yes. happened. So right. he, he's, been through, he's been through a lot. Great reference. Uh, but the one thing that, that when I'm watching the World Series that I can't get out of my head is just how good the Astros have been for so long. And yep. yes, obviously, some of it has to do with the scandal, the cheating scandal. But their ability to have this homegrown talent that seemingly comes out of nowhere. I mean, a lot of the guys that factored into the series were signed out of the Dominican Republic. And Jordan Alvarez brought over from the Dodgers when they didn't even see him play in a game. And he came from Cuba. And and he hits a 450-foot home run. Um, So they only have five guys from the original World Series title-winning team, right? And those guys all factor in really, really well. But then you add Alvarez. You add Christian Javier. You add Framber Valdez, who was amazing in Game 6, as he's been amazing all season long for this team. And it just makes you wonder, like, <laughs> asterisk aside, like, are we looking at sort of the, the modern-day type of baseball dynasty? Because 
this team, it doesn't look like they're slowing down anytime soon, especially when you consider the World Series MVP is a rookie in Jeremy Pena who just stepped in for Correa like they didn't, they didn't skip a beat at all. So just an amazing performance of sustained success for the Houston Astros. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to throw the, the D yeah. on it, right? Like, so dynasty, right? Like, Jeter's Yankees were a dynasty. No question. But with baseball the way it is now, with the wild card, where essentially the playoffs are a lottery, mm-hmm. I mean, it's closest that we've got. And I watched this series through the lens of, man, I thought the Blue Jays were close, so maybe they're not. Yeah. You look at their bullpen alone. When you talk about being a model of how to build a winner, postseason records in ERA, whip, and opponent average, the stark difference from the Blue Jays, who it seems like how long ago they were in the postseason, to now looking at you know these two teams, specifically the Astros, I, I know they've got a young core, and they're an ascending franchise, and the arrow is up, but when we'll talk about Ricky Romero, uh, talk to him about it later, not only the middle of the infield defense and the starting pitching questions, mm-hmm. having not an average, an elite bullpen is so key at this time of year. Yeah, no, not to focus on one game, uh, but we saw what happened to the Blue Jays. Look at those numbers. In that one game, right? And it's a stark difference from this Houston Astros team. Now, let's not forget that this is basically a record-setting bullpen that the Houston Astros had. So not every team is going to have that. And the expectation shouldn't be that the Blue Jays should have that. It's hard, it's hard to put that together. But there's no question that in the modern game of baseball, you certainly need a, an electric bullpen. And that seems like it's something that the Blue Jays have been lacking for a number of years now. And they need to address it. Sure. But how many teams in the postseason, including the last two that were playing, had a better bullpen than the Blue Jays? Probably most of them. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. You're not going to get an argument from me on that. Uh, We asked, speaking of uh, how people felt when the Astros won, we did a little bit of a match game on the weekend, which is rare for us, but I figured why not filter through some of the replies. Uh, From the Astros winning the World Series makes me feel blank. The Astros winning the World Series makes me feel blank. Rick says, better than if it was the Rays of the Yankees. Congrats to Dusty Baker for bringing it home and finishing off his resume with World Series champion. I have to say, of all of the, the tweets that we got, 90% 90% of them were about Dusty Baker. Oh, I thought you were going to say Kate up there. No. <laughs> no. Nice. She's going back back and forth with the Phillies fans. I love that. But most of them were Dusty Baker. Um, Canadian Blue says, great. The best team in the league won, period, and end of story. 106 wins during the regular season and undefeated until they play the Phillies. Uh, Wingnut says, uh, sick. I'm assuming sick to his stomach. His or her stomach. Um, happy that it's over so that we can get to what matters for everyone else. Trade talks and signings. And there's a lot of Blue Jays fans out there that probably feel very similar. See if yes. they can put together that type of bullpen. Uh, Jake says, Jays are 0-0 zero and zero, or 0-0 and, and tied for first place. Right. Put a smile on a lot of people's faces. And Craig says, like the annual Leafs first round loss is coming soon. We can't do a match game without, without someone, someone the Leafs. chirping the Leafs in the first round. And they're on a nice little run right now. Yeah, they are. If you're ever going to be happy as a Leaf fan, shouldn't like this last week or so be it? Oh, we're going to get to that. Okay. We will get to that here on First Things First. To basketball we go first. The NBA will take the day off tomorrow for the midterm elections in the United States. So every team, every team will play tonight, including the Raptors in Chicago for the second of back-to-backs. This is what's happened so far, This or how the schedule works this season. They play a bunch of teams back-to-back. Last night, the Raps beat the Bulls 113-104 without Pascal Siakam, who was lost to injury in Friday's one-point loss in Dallas. Fred Van Vliet returned from his back injury to lead the Raptors with 30 points and 11 dimes. Siakam is expected to miss at least two weeks. Can the Raptors stay competitive without their best player, DJ? 
I'm going to say yes. They stayed competitive without their all-star in Fred Van Vliet, and mm-hmm. he looked great putting up 30 last night. I, I'm a bit concerned because it will be reevaluated in two weeks, not back in two weeks. But I think the strength of this team is the amount of interchangeable parts and the fact that, once again, mm-hmm. Masai and Bobby and crew just find one. Like, I was watching last night, and essentially I heard DJ Khaled in – my ears and t- another one, another <laughs> one. They don't want you to get another six nine switchable player. But here comes with added role and responsibility, Christian Coloco, who looked great not only defensively, he did not look out of place uh, offensively nah, as he well. Great. And and so I, I do think that they're able to weather the storm because for Nick Nurse, okay, instead of playing Fred Van Vliet and. Seven literal Velociraptors are going to play Red Van Leet in six. Yeah. And so I'm going to need a little bit more from Scotty, a little bit more from Christian, and a little bit more from OG. And I think there is lots more uh, there with OG because he's been so, so good defensively to start the year. He's been ridiculous. He's averaging 4.8 steals over his last four games, 3.1 for the season. He's been great. They're all stepping up. And I think last night showed sort of the blueprint for how they have to win. And it's similar to how they won a lot of games last season. It's win the battle on the offensive boards, which they did last night, and cause a lot of turnovers, which you just mentioned, OG OG Ananobi is a a huge part of. So everybody's going to need to step up. And to your point about Siakam being reevaluated, what's concerning to me is he did miss time in the 2019-20 season with a groin injury. And when he came back, it took him some time to get back to full speed. He was playing really well before the injury, and then slowed down a bit, or he took some time to get back to, to what he was, And maybe he learns from that experience and is able to hit the ground running. But for a guy that was playing at literally an MVP level, he was fourth in the Kia MVP ladder rankings uh, early in the season, it just couldn't come at a worse time for him. He's been the best best basketball of his career. And and, and for those watching at home, you see this violent slip Mm -hmm. on a wet spot, uh, which did not look good. I'm I'm actually feel okay on, on how they'll be able to ride this out. To be honest, I just feel... Worse for Pascal. For sure. Because he was, without much debate, playing at a first team all NBA level. Now, whether or not you're going to keep that up for three, four more months, who knows? But if he does miss something close to the 11 games he missed a year ago, then it's going to be tough for him to stay in that conversation. So I, I feel bad uh, for him more than anything. No doubt. Um, just a, again, a special shout out to uh, Christian Coloco because yes. going into the season, I mean, anytime there's a rookie. Who, who seems is extremely athletic, but he's raw, right? And you, you kind of, you're not sure what you're going to get from him. And then oftentimes you get thrust in the spotlight when someone goes down. And he's going to need to sort of anchor this defense. You have OG up top on the perimeter, and everybody else seems like they can play defense on this team. And then you saw him grow before your eyes last night, and we'll see if he can do it again tonight. So shout out to Christian Coloco. Just three games in the National Hockey League tonight, including both Alberta teams as the Flames visit the Islanders and the Oilers host the Capitals on Rogers' Monday Night Hockey. The Capitals are hosting the Oilers. Meanwhile, the Bruins are at home to the Blues after a bad weekend for the organization. Friday, they announced the controversial signing of Mitchell Miller despite protests from their own players. But after the league said that Miller was ineligible to play, the Bruins rescinded their contract offer on Sunday, and team president Cam Neely met with the media earlier today. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely upset that, that we have 
made a lot of people unhappy with our decision. Um, I take pride in, in the Bruins organization and what we stand for, and we failed there. I, there's a lot of people that are, that are let down today. And, you know, I, I, I'm disappointed that we're in this position. We shouldn't be in this position. So we could have done a better job. We should have done a better job. For me, I, I, we, we didn't have a, enough information. We could, have, we, we could have dug deeper. I do believe in second chances, but maybe some don't deserve it. What exactly were the Bruins thinking on this one? Do you uh, they weren't thinking, man. Like, I don't know. I, like, help me help you, Cam Neely and the Boston Bruins. This is the thing I, I, I really, in almost 2023 now, uh, I, I do not, for the life of me, understand. Or maybe I, I should just understand that some people just don't care. We had the diversity report come out by Kim Davis in the NHL uh, a little while ago, and 14 teams mm-hmm. um, had a diversity officer working uh, within the organization. And some people say, oh, that, whatever, it's just you know, PR, whatever. You know why you do hire someone who's done work in this area? For them to stand in front of this train wreck and say, how about we just take a breath here? How about we do some due diligence, some research? I don't know. How about maybe we talk to the victim? and their family, and, and check out what actually happened. Instead of coordinating uh, an Instagram post with uh, you know, Miller and saying everything that he has done in the interim, how about we actually do the work to see, well, has he reached out mm-hmm. and given an apology that wasn't court-ordered? And for people to fully understand what we're talking about, because these things get like put in a nice little box of like character issues or misgivings and indiscretions when you're young. This is someone who bullied... Uh, you know, a, a black classmate who had some special needs challenges from grade two to junior high, in, not including just beating him up, but taking candy, smearing it against a urinal, and making a meeting. So that's what we're talking that's about. Horrific. So it is horrific, but I understand for people to say, well, he was 14. And I certainly don't want to be judged by all the things I did when I was 14 for the rest of my life. Sure. Like, I'm not into cancel culture, but I am into accountability culture. Mm-hmm. What are the steps that have been taken since then, and what guardrails do you have in place so he isn't adding to, and already at times, toxic hockey culture? So this is bigger than the Boston Bruins, which is why I applaud Gary Bettman in the NHL saying, well, hold on now. He may have reached your burden of proof, but he hasn't reached ours. And I see them saying this is a distressed asset. This guy who was, you know, defensive player of the year, player of the year in his conference, we, we could get him for cheap. Well, you know what's a distressed asset right now? The reputation of the sport of hockey in many mm-hmm. homes. And, and, and I, I just, I can't understand how so many seem to be smart people make so many dumb mistakes. I think it's incredibly well said. Um, it, it, it feels like the Bruins front office either didn't do their due diligence or didn't care. And you can choose which one it was or whatever. I don't even know which one's worse. They're both horrible. But this information was available. Like, it, you could have searched it on Wikipedia, literally. Like, you, you can search any of this information on the Internet a month ago, two months ago. And they didn't do it. Um, so it's just, obviously, they are trying to right their wrong. But I just wonder how much of the pressure came from from Bettman and from the players in the room speaking up and how much that ended up swaying them because it didn't seem like they had much of an issue with it when they signed him. And then you heard the Bruins speak on 
on the weekend, and suddenly they make this move. Well, the players in the room, from what we understand, mm-hmm. said, like, do we really need to do this right now? Mm-hmm. So credit them. But they did it anyways. And, and, and you know, when you are steadfast on doing something, you'll find a way and find a reason to talk yourself into it being a good idea. So much so that they decided, you know what, when we're going to announce this, when we're coming to Toronto, mm-hmm. where, where all of the hockey media uh, is. And, and that part of it, to me, to your point, said that, like, they were just unaware of how it was going to be received, or quite frankly, they didn't care how it was going to be received. Uh, it, it was a leader in the hockey news in this city you know, over the week, but the fact that the Leafs had a pretty good weekend should garner uh, some discussion. They only have one healthy goalie that's played in the NHL right now. But how are you feeling about the somewhat Jekyll and Hyde Toronto Maple Leafs? Whoa, that is a loaded question. Um, I think that we as um, a media and, uh, and often the fan base love to tear down the Leafs when things are going poorly. And on a scale of 1 to 10, going into the weekend, the Leafs, in terms of uh, worries, were probably around an 8. You didn't know if Sheldon Keefe was going to get fired soon or what the situation was, why wasn't Austin Matthews scoring, why are they playing down to their opponents all of the time. And they had an opportunity here to really alleviate the pressure cooker that was their situation earlier in the season. And they went out and they did that on back-to-back nights. So I think that when you criticize the Leafs, you also have to be willing to give them credit where credit is due. And particularly on Saturday night, I felt like it was a playoff game, the playoff speed, and they met their challenge. Kevin Bieksa was here last week and he talked about team toughness and how it doesn't have to just be fighting. And a lot of times it's battles. It's are you afraid to go into the corner when things get tough. And when you're playing the Bruins, sometimes in the past, the Leafs have been afraid to go in the corners. They have been afraid to get hit. And on Saturday night, and then again on Sunday against the Carolina Hurricanes, they were willing to pay the price. So they started the week very low in the Atlantic Division standings, fifth, and now they're tied for second. So I think you've got to give them credit on a job well done this weekend. Against Boston, I agree. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm buying that story against Carolina, where essentially it was uh, Mitch Marner and William Nylander have more skill than you do, (laughs) and they're going to make some plays that only a few players in the world can make, and we're going to come out of here with a win, even though we didn't really play well for three periods. Yeah, I think think sometimes, especially on a back-to-back, you're going to have to do that. Like, that's the reality. When you're traveling from Toronto to Raleigh and... um, you do, have, you do have the talent, and you need the talent to rise because you're not going to have the energy that you had against Saturday. Like I just said, Saturday was a difficult game to play. So it's, everyone was expecting them to come out flat in the first period on Sunday, and they did. They were down, and then they came back because their talent, the cream rose to the, to the top in that situation. Sometimes you need it. doesn't always happen with the Leafs, but more often than not, it seems like they are finding a way to play well against the good teams, and then against the not-so-good teams, it's going the other way, which is, which is bizarre and why we have the Jekyll and Hyde up yeah. there. I get the frustration and the lack of patience because only our grandparents have lived to see uh, Stanley Cup. Oh, a lot uh, of the time, win. it's worth it. Yeah, but but I will say, if they're flying right now, the fan base is like, show me in the spring. Mm-hmm. And they're struggling right now, and the fan base is like, you're not going to be good enough in the spring. So uh, they can't win at this point Agreed. regardless. Agreed.
we're just here to talk about it. Though. True. And they do need they do need goaltending. That, that, that is a concern. Calvary's coming. Matt Murray might be on yeah. the ice tomorrow, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah. The, yes, we'll see. We'll definitely see with that. The division final matchups are set in the CFL after the Owls beat the Ticats in the East Semi, and Nathan Wark led the Lions to a 30-16 win over the Stampeders. BC will now travel to Winnipeg to take on the two-time defending Grey Cup champions. The Bombers remain a heavy favorite to win it all again. Does BC have a chance? They do have a chance, and it's because of number 12, uh, the great Canadian hope, Nathan Rourke, who, forget about passports, for me, when healthy, is 1A, 1B. Was Zach Laros the best player in the CFL? But I, forget about him, forget about the game. We're going to be able to talk about this all week. For me, the, the visuals that I saw in both buildings, mm-hmm. Montreal in the east, BC in the west, new ownership groups, energized fan bases, great football on the field, and for all Canadian fans to be excited about a player like Nathan Rourke. Like, if you're a Fortune 500 company, make the phone call now because that number is going up. Uh, and, and the fact that I saw great football, but most importantly, great atmospheres. Yeah. Um, as a Canadian football lover, uh, I was really happy to see that. I am cautiously optimistic that... We'll have a decent crowd at BMO. Mm-hmm. The Ticats not being in the game is, is not going to be able to inflate the number. But let's just celebrate, as the Rourke family is celebrating, um, the scenes that we saw in two markets that have struggled for the last couple of years. Yeah, it was great to see Nathan Rourke playing. Like, I mean, he's still limping around. He's obviously not 100%, but playing well. And, and quickly, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, is that it? Yes. In Calgary? Yeah, oh, yeah. He said it's a wrap. So yeah. it's a wrap. That's it. Yep, that's it. Uh, it's a wrap for this block but stay with us still to come ricky romero drops by with his world series takeaways plus we start the off-season look ahead and sirit sohi is going to join us and talk about the wraps and can they withstand the injury to spicy p plus after the break another eventful week in the nfl we'll break it down with brock free next on tim and friends but today's tim's day off but stay with us please the houston astros are the 2022 World Series champions. There's one guy who's getting all the hugs. They told me in spring training that they were going to win it. Now, what's next? Party. This is third and 17. Mahomes is chased. Can he get there? Oh, he did. Mahomes and his pass. On the run, will he run for it? And go to the pylon and tie the game. He's one of a kind. He really is. So good. Got to be back out here with you guys, and uh, thankfully we're able to get a win. Mixon motoring around the edge. Mixon into the end zone. That's five total touchdowns for Joe Mixon. What a day! 61-yard touchdown run by the quarterback Justin Fields. Touchdown, Miami! And the Dolphins with a three-point win on the road. Rodgers comes back the other way. It's intercepted! You don't typically see these struggles in the red zone, let alone the turnovers. Allen intercepted! He's picked off along the sideline. Allen has time. Intercepted! Sauce Gardner's got it! And the Jets will win it! A shocking victory! It's tough to win this league. Um, you're playing a good team here. 
quarterback plays like Dozens in the end zone. Dalvin Cook pulls it in for a Viking touchdown. The Vikings, sixth straight win. Here's the snap to Brady. Fakes to Fournette. He throws. It's caught. It's in for the touchdown. Incredible. And Brady Magic returns again. That was awesome. That was awesome. Mahomes on the run. At the 10. At the 5. To the goal line. In for the touchdown. Mahomes on the run. Will he run for it? He'll go to the pylon and tie the game. At 17. Chiefs score the final 11 in this one to win it. No shortage of drama in week nine in the NFL and some drama in Indy today as the Colts fired head coach Frank Reich. He took over in 2018, making the playoffs twice, but the Colts are off to a 3-5-1 start and were embarrassed by the Patriots Sunday. Former Colts center Jeff Saturday takes over as interim head coach, now Jeff Sunday. He has no previous coaching experience at any level whatsoever, but apparently... You can just fail up, I suppose, and become a head coach in the NFL. Uh, we bring on someone who, certainly not failing up, uh, is blessing us with his talent and his experience around the NFL, Brock Freen. Brock. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Sorry. There you go. Uh, so, so, Brock, like, Mary J. Blige, queen of R&B, said she wants no more drama, but the NFL is not listening. So many places we could start. Maybe we, we should start with the former Super Bowl MVP quarterbacks and, and champions and, and Brady uh, and, and him with a comeback, but maybe looking less bad than the Rams offense did with Stafford at the helm. Uh, whose team are you most concerned about at this point? Boy, I will have to say the Rams just because they lost, right? Now, that does not mean that the Buccaneers looked good, right? What was beautiful about that game was Tom reminding everyone, hey, look, I'm not the same Tom I used to be, but I am still the GOAT. And if you give me a chance to drive down the field, I have just enough magic in me. I don't understand how he is surrounded by basically the same guys minus Gronk that won a Super Bowl, but they look so out of sync they look a mess, and it took a an incredible collapse by the Rams for them to find a way to win. But, hey, they won the game, right? So that was a welcome sight. As far as the Rams, I don't even know what you fix. They can't run the ball. They've never been able to run the ball, I would argue, in, in, in recent years. And you can win ugly if your quarterback is struggling by running the football, right? You just eat up the clock. You play good defense, which they do have, and you win ugly. But when you can't run the football – and your quarterback looks like a shell of himself, You, it, it is impossible to win football games. We also forget, yeah, they won the Super Bowl, the Rams, but Stafford did not look good until playoff time, right? So, again, this it's a little worse than he was last year, but he did not look great. This is par for the course. They were just able to milk out some magical wins a year ago. Not the case this year. Well, you mentioned getting to the playoffs, and because – uh, the NFC South is so bad. The Buccaneers are still in first place, being below 500. Uh, but the situation for Aaron Rodgers, the former MVP, a little bit different because the Vikings all of a sudden are four and a half games up in, in that division. They're not really running it in, in Green Bay, and they're missing Adams. The level of concern for Green Bay Packers fans and A-Rod should be real concern or just relax, as he likes to say. 
It should be through the roof, not just for this year, for the future. Because when you give a guy $150 million over three years, whatever the heck it was, you've mortgaged your entire future. Coming into this year, people did not expect Green Bay to just be firing on all cylinders week one. They said, okay, a lot of young talent in that wide receiver room, but that defense is top-notch. That defense will carry them until the offense figures it out. None of us really stopped to think, well... What if the offense never figures it out, right? And now the defense spends the entire game on the field. And yeah, hey, guys, I understand we're playing the Lions. If we're on the field all game because you can't convert a third down, they're going to score points. The Packers are a mess. They are cash-strapped. And apparently they tried to trade for every receiver in the NFL, and it didn't work. Again, maybe we should have seen the writing on the wall, but we all assumed they would eventually figure it out offensively. We're now seeing... Yeah, what happens if they don't? I don't know if there's a winnable game remaining on their schedule if they do not figure something out. There's online debate in terms of uh, interceptable balls and whether or not that's a real stat or just something that football nerds talk about. Uh, The key guy in that debate is Josh Allen and whether or not he's as good as maybe advertised. But he needs to be healthy. Uh, Chris Mortensen reporting that they're looking at that elbow and he may uh, miss some time. Uh, this guy was a frontrunner for MVP now a couple weeks ago. Like, the Bills situation with him and without him, uh, is there a level of concern there for you? There is, and it's also why I never take the Bills to win the Super Bowl, even in these past couple years with the emergence of Josh Allen, right? Let, let's, let's start with Josh Allen. He's his own guy, meaning there's nothing else like him. Him and Mahomes, yes, they're, they're both great. I mean, they're both great in their own rights. We, we, we have not seen anything like a Mahomes. We haven't seen anything like a Josh Allen. The difference, though, is that when Mahomes has a bad day, sometimes they can still find a way to win games. If Josh Allen has a bad day, the Bills lose. It's that simple. Their defense is great, but so much of their offense is reliance on him. He has to be their leading passer and their leading rusher for them to win football games. It's too much on him because when he doesn't have a good day, it is impossible for you to win. There is too much on his shoulders. Now, he's allowed to have bad games. We heard him. He's his toughest critic. He's allowed to have bad games. No NFL player is going to go out there and play great 17 games of a regular season. But so much is reliant on him. If he has a bad day, it is impossible for them to win. And what if he has a bad day during the playoff game, right? You're done. Your season's over. Uh, it's, it's so true. It's crazy to think that only uh, O.J. Simpson and Thurman Thomas, Hall of Famers, have more rushing TDs for the Bills than Josh Allen at, at this point. Uh, but should we be giving some credit to the team that just beat them, and maybe uh, should you know Coach Sala really be keeping all those receipts? The Jets are on a roll, uh, and and now they look like they're a real player in the East. Uh, best start since 2010 at six and three. Could they be this year's Bengals? Uh, the Bengals had Joe Burrow, right? True. So it's 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 tough because I would argue the only question mark remaining for the Jets is that quarterback position. Now, it's tough because I don't want to sit here and say you got to give up on a quarterback in his second year in the NFL when he had to miss a lot of the preseason because he got hurt. That's unfair for Zach Wilson. But at the same time, if you are Robert Sala, you're saying this team is ready to win now, right? Regardless of what happens this year, there's a lot of young pieces there. I'm talking about for the future. 
This team is built to win now. There's no such thing as windows in the NFL. If you feel like you're ready to win, you have to maximize it. If if Zach Wilson does not play better by the end of the year, hey, look, right now they're looking like a wild card team that'll get bounced first round. That's a huge turnaround. But if he does not play a lot better throughout the remainder of the year, they're going to have a decision to make. Again, I, it, it breaks my heart to say you got to give up on a kid in his second year, but you're ready to win now. This defense is ahead of schedule. Sauce Gardner may be the best quarterback in the NFL. I, I, I don't. They are so far ahead of schedule. It's just unfortunate that the quarterback position is what will limit your ceiling as it stands right now that AFC East and we showed the standings looks like a beast early on Bills 0-2 so far in the AFC East you mentioned Sauce Gardner who's playing up to the guy who was drafted and was iced out on on draft day Kirk Cousins iced out on the plane evidently (laughs) and he's playing up to that I, I, I don't think that was his ice or it was real but uh are the Minnesota Vikings real look at this like look why can't we have nice things is what I want to know um, uh, as my mother says, just because they make it in your size doesn't mean you should wear it. And I think that would be the case for Kirk Cousins. Uh, it, it, the, the Vikings are seven and one, and they've actually, you know, won all of their games except for one by one score or less. Are, are, are they really real? No, they are the benefactors of an awful NFC North and. When it comes playoff time, they'll have a high seed, probably the number two seed. The Eagles are the the real deal because the NFC stinks, right? Kirk is Kirk. We know who he is. He's been the same guy this entire time. He's not going to win you a lot of games, but he's not going to lose you them either. Meaning if the Vikings win, it's rarely because of Kirk Cousins. It's because of Justin Jefferson. It's because Dalvin Cook had a good day. It's because the defense was balling. If you lose a game, it's usually because, ah, we didn't get enough out of Kirk. He took a check down when he should have taken a shot downfield, right? When it comes time for playoff football, I need a quarterback that's going to win me a game. I don't need a conservative guy who just wants the nice, easy five-yard dink and dunk down the field. I need a guy who's going to take Justin Jefferson, one of the best receivers that we've seen in a long time. Hey, give him a shot. Kirk is not really a believer in taking risks. When it comes playoff time, I need a risk taker because everybody you play is good. I'm happy for the Vikings. I'm happy for Kirk. It looks like he's having fun when he hasn't looks doesn't look like he's had fun in a very long time. So I'm happy for him, but... Let's not fool ourselves. No one is betting on the Vikings to make a Super Bowl run. We're talking about quarterbacks playing at a high level. Everyone's talking about Allen or Hurts in the MVP conversation. Rodgers won the MVP last year. Everyone's trying to prop up Burrow and Herbert as being next. For me, I think we're maybe not realizing that Patrick Mahomes is him. Like He is still <laughs> that guy. For you, if you're paying your hard-earned money, is there any other quarterback who gives you the production and the entertainment value as 15. It's the antithesis of Kirk Cousins, right? To piggyback off of our last topic, when it comes playoff time, you know number 15 is going to take risks, and more often than not, he's going to be right. He is just a gamer. He just finds ways to win football games. It sounds simple, but it's not, right? Yes, he has incredible arm strength. He's he's mobile. He can do a lot of things. He can throw no-look passes. But a lot of times when you see a physical specimen like him, you overlook the mental side of it. He can break down defenses and make you wrong every single time. And the scary thing, he's still learning. 
he's only going to get better. He's still super reliant on his physical attributes that his mental side of the game as it continues to come along, which I would argue last night, it was on him. He had to win that football game, and he found a way to win it despite he was basically out there by himself. But I will always bring up it again in regards to Patrick Mahomes. The mental side of the game is something he hasn't had to develop until now. There's still another one or two gears that can be unlocked for Patrick Mahomes. Nobody in this league is a more dangerous man than that, than that number 15. That's scary hours to think about. Uh, he does uh, deliver on time, and he's got this thing when I'm watching him. It's like... No, he's not going to make that play, but but somehow he always does. He's got that, like, you know, I'm doing some potty training right now. He's got that tight booty toddler waddle to get to the potty, <laughs> yes. but always gets there on time. So shout out to Mahomes and shout out to my toddler Desmond, who is delivering on time. Uh, shout out to you, who always gives us great knowledge and great laughs. Thank you for this once again. Hey, Tab, DJ. Oh, that was fun. Uh, time for a break. Uh, maybe if you need a potty break. Now, when we come back, Jesse will give me a break and bring you plays of the week. You're watching Tim and Friends without Tim and with me making random references. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, and you see it right there. POW Plays of the Week, which gives us a chance to show off our fits, quite frankly, uh, to utilize the great lighting in the studio, wow. and to have some fun. One outfit's a lot better than the other. No, don't, no, no, no. Don't I do mean, that. No. Don't, this is the he Jesse Rubinoff collection. He had to bring okay. up the clothes. Only the most fashionable guy in like Canadian sports media might have maybe even North American Dude, media. The same stylist that styles you styles me, okay? Yeah, that's true. It's a great job. I mean, but look, at, you look great. I'm just a better hanger, that's you, all. That's right. You want to get to plays of the week? Let's do it. They're on me this week, uh, so we'll try not to get, um, you know, try not to make any mistakes, try not to get tripped up. Oh, oh, oh Sebi, Sebi, you ever done that? No? Okay, here's how I looked yesterday, taking the Bills minus 11 and a half. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't win. Uh, I may be two and six on my bets this year, but at least Bo Harbaugh oh. feels my pain. Oh, I mean, he's, yep. been, he's been good this year, but it's been that kind of year for the Canucks so far. It was a week for misplays. Jacob oh, Silverberg on, knows no. it. Duck Shark Silverberg. Yeah, he fired it into his own oh, no. Good shot, though. That's where you want it. It's just above the pad. Is that both a, a, a misplay and a soft goal? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, as the old saying goes, if you're a goaltender, then tend the goal. Karel Vamelka. Learned that lesson the hard way. I did that many times as a goalie growing up. Knight Senators. Who do you think Logan Thompson styled his game after growing up? I'm going to go with Vesa Toskala. Okay. You get I the like joke? It. You get the joke? I Vesa Toskala from way back when? Okay. Uh, how about some good plays? Whoa. Flyers. Oh, oh, that's probably John oh. Tavares' nicest goal as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Puts it past Felix Sandstrom. You in agreement on that? Yes. By far. Speaking of guys that have been uh, really good to start the year, he, he's been good as well. Uh, here's Adam Henrique with the gorgeous individual effort. Steven Dangle right there. Goes backhand roof. Uh, that's Canucks. Bo Horvat. Uh, again, having a tough go in our plays. John Gibson makes the diving save on the rebound to rob him. I was about to say, we need to give some goalies some love in yeah. the plays of the week right now. Yeah, why not? How about these beauties? A bunch of guys chug five pints, a lot of pints, to raise money for their Movember cause. And DH, it goes about how you'd expect. It's the worst I've ever. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, Oh no. Oh no. Oh. 
This is DJ Western. <laughs> no, Amaretto Crayons only. <laughs> oh! No, we had to show that? Come on now. Jesus. All right. Yeah, that was really gross, but, you know, for a good cause, I guess. To the World Series we go. Nick Castellanos, line drive. Yeah. World Series Get MVP. Up. Jeremy Pena. Get up. And JT Real Muto thinks he has one. Chaz McCormick says, nah, uh At I'm the sad. wall. Makes the catch. Stays with it. Great play, Real Muto. Can't believe it, boys. <laughs> what do you think of it? Oh, again? <laughs> like you can, oh, you can taste it. Even just watching this, which is, fit, this is which is the problem. I'm right overwhelmed, now. to be honest. This is. Oh, oh no! Oh, 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 oh! Goodness! From that beautiful Move act, the children from the room to the beautiful game, Lucas Podolski. Scores this beauty from inside his own half. Like, that's just a great shot. I, I was waiting well for the goalie to run into the post because that's where that was going. Some are calling that the best left foot ever uh, to the hard court. Bulls ride. Did you know OG Ananobi had this in his bag? Yeah, he got up in Indiana. Yeah. Um, you saw it on defense this year. You throw it down, too. Speaking mm. of throwing it down, Scotty Barnes, as you learned uh, a few weeks ago. Get some of that. Don't jump. Inside joke. Future Hall of Famer, Scotty yes. Barnes. It's an inside joke until it really happens. Uh, Bucks T-Wolves. Carl Anthony Towns with the Euro step off the glass. Plus the foul. Dolphins Bears. How about Justin Fields? I was ready to write him off, to oh. be honest. This is someone you could pick up in fantasy waivers like a month ago. I know. Now he's going to win you your league. I know. This is a 61-yard touchdown run. And that is what he's been doing the last couple weeks. What a turnaround for him. From one... QB rush to another. Bills, Jets, Josh Allen does what he does best. Rumbling into the end zone. However, the Bills would still get the L. Fellas, take it away. Oh, dude, this is the name of charity. All in the name of charity. All in the name of charity. Fair enough. So, so, so bad. Oh, I just... <laughs> Is there a worse sound? The bell chase. Worse sound. Probably. So, are you telling me that that you didn't drink beer at uh, Western? I'm not a beer drinker. It's an acquired taste. No, no. Listen, you, you think I just put anything in this body? Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I can't really. Yeah, I, not I have no response. I have no response. No. Um, uh, I think they were drinking some beverages. No doubt when we come back, Ricky Romero joins us to reflect Nashville's World Series. They enjoy their parade today. Plus GM meetings coming up. Who is going to be moving uh, this offseason? It's a nice free agent pool. And we'll ask Ricky about his drinking habits maybe. We've got more on Timmy French. Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Tim Saw here, I'm filling in for him. Did that sound like the Sheepdogs? No? Uh, sorry, Sheepdogs. Thank not you so all. much. No? Not, like, literally not even close. Tim Saw here, I'm filling in for him. Oh, you're doing the singing thing again. Yeah, no, I'm trying to. Uh, for, <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, Donna Bennett back here for uh -oh. Tim. Uh, hour number two of the show alongside Jesse, who apparently is a judge on The Voice and says that I can't sing, but no, whatever. I, I didn't Forget say that. Him. I didn't say that. I Forget said it didn't him. sound like the Sheepdogs. All right. Big whatever. difference. Thanks, Simon Cowell. Big qualifier. Uh, full hour for you everywhere, which includes... Ricky Romero, who can sing both English and Spanish. True story. Uh, he's not going to be singing. 
I might ask, though. Uh, he's going to be talking about the World Series in the MLB offseason, plus Surat Sohi on the Raptors without Pascal, unfortunately. Plus, you have to see this. If you don't see anything else, stay for this. Part one of Stephen Brunt's interview mm -hmm. with John Herdman. It's a series. We're going to drop the first episode on this show. But first, Jesse and I have your news of the day. Let's go. Take it away. The Oilers, they start, they try and snap a mini two-game slide as they face the Capitals in Washington on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Hockey Central sets it up at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. The Oilers are a perfect 3-0 on the road this season and will go with Stuart Skinner in net. Meanwhile, Connor McDavid will play in his 500th career game tonight. Getting a chance to, uh, you know, live out my dream and play in the NHL and um, to have done it, you know, for 500 games now, it uh, means a lot to me. Um, you know, I know there's not a lot of guys that get to that number. I've seen a young man mature over those 500 games. I've seen a player evolve and mature, and um, you know, he's a he's a treat to be around and treat uh, to watch uh, operate on a day in day out basis. Time flies, man. 500 already? All right, the Flames head out on the road after a rough end to their long homestand. They lost the last four in a row and now play nine of their next 11 away from the Saddle Dome. It starts with the Islanders tonight, a game you can see on Sportsnet 1 across the country. 27-year-old Nick DeSimone will make his NHL debut for the Flames. A lot of excitement. Um, you know, obviously... Happy to be here. This is where you want to be, right? So uh, it's exciting, and I just try to do my job every day and have fun with it. In the nation's capital, Sens GM Pierre Dorian met with the media today. Some good news is he said Josh Norris will undergo surgery at this time and will not go undergo surgery at this time and will be reevaluated before any decisions or timelines are made. He also was asked about his faith in head coach DJ Smith with the team struggling to a 4-7 and seven record thus far. Very happy with him. He's. It's. I think it's the first. I wouldn't say very happy because we're four and seven. But I'm happy with the job the DJ's done. Uh, his staff has done. Uh, obviously, at four seven, it's a bit tougher. I think it's the first time that we've given him a team that can compete for the playoffs. So we're gonna. Uh, one thing about Pierre Dorian. Pierre Dorian is loyal. Pierre, Pierre Dorian is very loyal. I think DJ's done a good job. He's shown that he can win. Uh, I'm not giving votes of confidence and everything. I, I think that's that's foolish. DJ's our coach. He's going to be our coach. I have faith in how this team plays under DJ. Pierre Dorian. Did he go third person? Yeah, third person. I heard that right. Jesse Rubinoff's going to keep reading. Okay. <laughs> to baseball and the Astros holding the World Series parade today in Houston. Highlights included Governor Ted Cruz being booed while the players started a We Want Houston chant mocking Yankees fans who chanted that after beating the Guardians. And now... Deej, get your popcorn ready because the MLB season is finally underway. It's pretty good, huh? Yeah, very good. Jays, do some damage. Yeah, get the offseason here, thankfully, fully for, for everyone as we look forward to the next season. And maybe we, as we look forward, we look backward mm. and uh, wish Ricky Romero a happy birthday. Oh! Hey! Hey, Rick! Hey. Happy birthday! Look at him. He's got multiple podcasts, he's got his little podcast set up. And he's, he is only a, a, a spry 50. Looking great, <laughs> yeah. Ricky. Right. <laughs> I, I wish, man. No, no, no. I, I'm still a, a young 38-year-old, but thank you very much. I, I missed you guys. It's been a while. I figured it, today was the perfect time to wear 
my Mexico oh, jersey man. since we're in World Cup mode right now, baby. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, <laughs> it is the perfect time uh, to wear because they're not going to get out of the group, so no. you might as well get it in now. How, how did it feel to lose CONCACAF? Tell us, Ricky. How did it feel? <laughs> hey, man, a blind, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, the, the, the best player in the region is Canadian. Uh, however, uh, baseball. Um, it, it was nice for Dusty Baker to get his championship nut. And, and as much as I feel the type of way about the Astros winning, I, I hold grudges, um, I, I was happy for him, a lifer in the game, old school, and like someone who has a great nickname as a name. Uh, when you saw those scenes, I was a little bit concerned because he is a senior citizen, but I was happy for him. <laughs> what, what came to mind for you? Oh, man, I, I, I was really happy for him. Obviously, the Astros have a history, and I feel like if you're a fan of the game, you're never going to let go what happened a few years ago with the whole cheating scandal. But this was great to see for him. And when you watch the reaction of his staff, and they all surrounded him, and and you can just tell the players genuinely wanted to, to win it for him. And the Houston Astros were just that team all year, man. I feel like they flew a little bit under the radar because – they're the Houston Astros, and nobody wanted to root for them. But let's not forget, they won 106 games. They were the top team in the American League. They did it with their pitching, with their bullpen. I mean, it just tells you, when you build a strong bullpen like that, I mean, every guy they ran out there was 95-99 out of the pen, and just everyone did their job. I think their, their closer had probably the least amount of good stuff i mean i feel like the guys in front of him had nastier stuff than than presley but he got the job done and it was it was it was they did it with clutch hitting man jordan alvarez that i don't i don't, I don't even think that a uh, home run has landed yet but <laughs> it, it it was uh it was cool to see also you know jeremy pena i feel like a star was born in front of our eyes and and just watching the way the way he went about it um on offense on defense it was tremendous to watch and you know they deserve it. They were they were one of the best teams, and as much as it hurts to say that, obviously, <laughs> for everything that's gone on, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that some of the players that were part of that that team that that got caught cheating um, feel pretty good about this one. You mentioned the closer and the, the stuff in front of him, and the biggest takeaway for me, I said this to Jesse earlier in the show, was watching the World Series it was a litmus test in terms of how far. The Blue Jays are from having a bullpen at that level to be able to compete at this time of year. Do you think what we've seen in terms of the playoffs and teams who advance in this team is going to be a bit of a blueprint that you got to build your team almost from the back end and, and not so much through the rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the number one thing. Everyone always asks, well, what do we do going into an offseason? Pitching, man. I, I just feel like you can never have enough pitching. And I feel like the Houston Astros were loaded with that. They had great starters that would just – I feel like Dusty Baker was just hoping their starters would get them through five innings because sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth were pretty much lockdown innings for their bullpen. And when you have a bullpen deep like that and you're able to trust your guys and and have you know that, that trust in them, it, it's going to make it a lot easier, obviously. But – they, they did it with their pitching. Their starters were tremendous all year. I mean, Justin Berlander is going to win the Cy Young at, at, what is it, 30, 38, 39 years old. And obviously, he didn't have a crazy World Series, but the guys behind him, I mean, they were unbelievable. Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, just guys that were so good, so consistent throughout the whole season, and then they carried it into the postseason. And again, 
when you have a bullpen like that and you play defense and the clutch hitting, I mean, they, they had it from the first series against the Seattle Mariners to, to the end. I mean, Jordan Alvarez started it against the Seattle Mariners when he hit that walk-off, and then he did it again against the Philadelphia Phillies. So Philadelphia becomes the first North American franchise to lose two championships in the same day. Obviously, you know, on the, on the MLS side, your beloved LAFC win. I, I saw footage of you and Will Ferrell celebrating Gareth Bale's equalizer. <laughs> but, but with the Phillies, we've seen teams go on a run, get hot at the end of the year, make a World Series, never hear anything from them again. Do you think this team is here to make runs in the National League for a while? I think so. I think they, they got the, the right guy uh, leading them to it. It just felt like that team rallied behind Rob Thompson and what a tremendous job he did when he took over. And I mean, they have one of the highest payrolls in baseball, and I believe it's the highest payroll in Philly's history, too. So when you have a Bryce Harper leading the way and he's the face of the franchise and you have Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and you have those type of names, you should be making noise every single year. Obviously, they play in a tough division. The Atlanta Braves are not going to away anytime soon and neither are the new york mets so it'll be one of those divisions that you definitely want to follow as a baseball fan that's for sure well we love as baseball fans to follow the movement in the offseason gm meetings starting uh, tomorrow when you look at this free agent class for me what stands out is loaded in terms of middle infielders loaded <laughs> in terms of starting pitching two needs i would say for the toronto blue jays but if you are ross and company what are the biggest needs you're looking to fill on the free agent market Pitching, pitching. I mean, you 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 said it best, DJ. Um, you you built from the back, and then you kind of move forward from there. Um, I think you, you gotta you gotta just look at your biggest biggest needs. I know there's gonna be some big names out there. There's there's a lot of there's about four shortstops out there in Dansby Swanson, uh, Sander Bogarts, and Trey Turner and Carlos Correa that are gonna be headlining everything, and obviously Aaron Judge. But I think um, I think it's going back to the drawing board and seeing, okay, where is it that we're going to need our biggest needs? And and I feel like it's going to be obviously the bullpen, starting pitching. You, you, just, you just can never have enough of it. And obviously you start adding from there and then whatever happens from there, you can start adding obviously another outfielder or, or a left-handed bat, or another power bat, just stuff like that. But I just feel to me 100% it has to be the pitching. The two fantasy baseball names that fans are setting their push alert notifications to are Judge via free agency, Otani via trade. Whether it's <laughs> potentially coming into this market or coming into, or in the case of Judge, staying in the division with some of the other teams, how do you see those two situations playing out? Man, I, I feel like Aaron Judge is probably going to be one of those things where if the Yankees don't re-sign him, I think it's going to be one of those things where he he's going to wait it out and it, it might trickle on to spring training just because I feel like it's going to be a big deal. Obviously, he's the biggest name in the free agent market. And Otani, man, I feel like I read something new about uh, Otani on my Twitter feed through uh, Blue Jay fans and how, they, how they're how they hearing rumors here and there. And I'm like, <laughs> I wouldn't believe anything till I actually see an, an actual deal. And I just don't see Anaheim moving him just yet. Um, and it's all going to depend on what their new owner does and if they he wants to stay there and all that stuff. But I mean, it'd be great, but um, I just wonder what they would want for him and what you were willing to give up. Yeah, true enough. As you saw uh, recently, well, 
always, whatever Vladdy Jr. says, trends, no matter what <laughs> language he says it in. But he talked about not ever wanting to be a Yankee, love, loving to go into Yankee Stadium on a recent uh, podcast. I, I know you love to go into Yankee Stadium yourself. Your read of those comments, knowing him personally, was what? I love it, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, they they asked him a question. He was honest about it, and there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like if you put on a Blue Jay uniform and you really, you know, it, it means a lot, and you play in that division, you play them so much. I hated the Yankees. I hated Boston. I hated all the teams that, that were in the AL East, but obviously the New York Yankees were one of the top teams, and there was a particular player there that I really didn't like, and I I wanted to get him out every single time. He I think he was he he used to wear number thirteen on that team, but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it, it was one of those things where I just I you just you just learn to hate him, and and again, I don't, I don't think Vladdy meant it in a wrong in 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 a bad way. It was just him saying, hey, every time I go into Yankee Stadium or we play the Yankees, I want to kill him, and and that's the mentality that I took. I mean, that's the mentality that I feel like if you ask. Any blue, if you ask Alec Manoa right now, he will probably say the exact same thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it, it's fun. I, I think fans get more of a kick out of it, and I saw some of the stuff that was written about it, like, oh, Yankee fans, would, uh, the New York Yankees wouldn't even want you anyways, and it's like, come on, let, let, let's get serious, you know? But uh, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was great, and, you know, Vladdy's, Vladdy's always going to be Vladdy, and, and, and I feel like that that that's pretty cool that he's able to be honest and, and he felt comfortable saying that and I'm sure next year when he goes into Yankee Stadium what's going to happen he's going to get a rain of booze and you wouldn't want to have it any other way I feel like as a as an opposing player you go in there and you you, you try to uh, shut you know 45,000 people up and 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 do it the right way and again I don't think he meant any harm by it I love I absolutely loved it for sure you said hated, past tense, but there's a little bass in your voice. That 38-year-old <laughs> smile became a scowl like you were on the mound. I think you still hate the Yankees and the Red Sox. Someone who has that exact same temperament is Alec Manoa. He is a finalist for the AL Cy Young. Or hoping to be, sorry, a finalist for, for the AL Cy Young Award. Um, we recently heard, you know, what's going to be the finalist in the National League. Should he be in that conversation at this point? Yeah, I think so. 100%. I think he was the biggest horse for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was very, very consistent. Now, is he going to win it? Probably not. Um, but I think he should definitely be mentioned in that conversation. And if he continues this this type of work and he you know, get keeps getting better every single year, he's going to be in the conversation every single year. But this year, he was definitely that guy. And I'm sure it, it didn't, if you ask him, it didn't end the way it, he wanted it to end. But as I as I told them, man, there's nothing to 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 hang your head uh, low about. You know, you, you did your job and you you carried this team, you carried this pitching staff, and you're gonna be back. So I'm uh, him getting a taste of the playoffs and obviously ending the way it did. I'm sure it's gonna make him hungrier to come back next year and and be that much better. You are a finalist for my favorite friend of this show. Uh, the top five is <laughs> Ricky, you. Ricky, 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 and Ricky because you spit hot fire. Thank you, Ricky. No, thank you guys, and so good to see you guys. I've missed you guys, and hopefully we do we get to do it again soon. Yes, sir. Uh, that is Ricky Romero, who evidently is 38. Looks great. He's a young man. He is. Um, <laughs> we've got a couple of young men up for Cy Young in the NL. We do. The NL Cy Young Award finalists have been uh, released. This according to MLB in a tweet. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, Max Fried, Julio Urias, and I would imagine that Sandy Alcantara is... An absolute stone cold lock for this award, considering 
uh, the year that he had for Miami. So uh, we are still awaiting the AL Cy Young Award finalists, and when that comes down, we will bring that to you yes. live from the computer. I jumped the gun a little bit. My bad. It's okay. I think you're you're wish you're you're Wishful hopeful. Thinking. You're hopeful, like you said. You're hopeful that his accomplishments this season are recognized. He, he is in the conversation. It's not like he's not in the conversation for. AL Cy Young finalists. It's just there's a lot of good pitchers this year. Yeah, I think the third spot is is in play. I, I, the thing for me is we, we look at numbers and you know, wins above replacement, mm. but when you watch someone over the balance of a season and see a true ace as a stopper, teams on a bit of a skid, come in, give some important innings for your mm -hmm. bullpen, like he fits that traditional role of an ace, and so that's why I think he should be in the conversation. But that's just me. Let us know at Tim and Friends. Uh, after the break, it's part one of a four-part series featuring Canadian soccer head coach John Herdman with Stephen Brunt. You will be tweeting about this, I guarantee it. You don't want to miss it. It's next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back. The draw for the Champions League round of 16 went down earlier today. Man City are heavy favorites, and they drew RB Leipzig. Tejon McCannon and Kyle Lahren's Club Bruges will face Benfica. A rematch of last year's final between Liverpool and Real Madrid, and Stephanie Stacchio and Porto will play Inter Milan. While Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich meet PSG in a rematch of the 2020 final. Speaking of Davies, a huge scare for Canadian soccer fans over the weekend as Davies was subbed off with a hamstring injury, but. Take a deep breath. There was good news on Sunday when Bayern tweeted that Davies will miss the next two club games, but is not at risk of missing the World Cup. A further update today called it a minor hamstring strain, saying Davies should be ready for the World Cup opener against Belgium, but is unlikely to play in the pre-tournament tune-up against Japan. Not such good news, however, for goalkeeper Max Crapeau, who suffered a scary injury late in the MLS Cup Final on Saturday. He has a broken leg and will miss, obviously, the entire tournament. Tough news for him, and we wish him the best in his recovery. All Canadian soccer fans, tough to see him. He's had such a good lead-up, such a great year, including for club and country. The World Cup, however, kicks off in less than two weeks with Canada's first game in 16 days. They will announce the final World Cup squad on Sunday as they get ready for the men's first World Cup appearance in 36 years. The man who led them there, John Herdman, has had a long and winding road to get to this point and in an exclusive four-part interview series with Stephen Brunt, Herdman opens up about his journey from Consett, England to Canada. Here's Stephen Brunt with episode one. Look, you've faced some challenges with your family. You okay talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's it's part of the story. It's part of, I think, what's created some of the resilience. I was thinking the first time we sat down, I think was Olympic qualifying. So that would have been late 2011, early 2012. I forget which at BC Place. Just so in advance of the, yeah. the London Olympics. It's been it's been quite a trek since yeah, then. It's been a, <laughs> it's just been a hell of a ride. I think that's the only way I can describe it. Um, you come to Canada, you're taking your first big job because you're working with Christine Sinclair, so that's a big job. And you don't know how long you're going to be in Canada. <laughs> is it three months? Is it six? Is it a year? And what is 11 years later and it's still here? Can't get rid of us. Yeah, it's uh, here in a, in a really different context now, but uh, 
a couple of Olympic medals, World Cup qualifying for the men, World Cups for the women. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite a resume over the last 11 years. So congrats for that, first of all. Um, you know, I don't think I've ever talked to you that much about kind of your growing up. Tell me about your hometown in, uh, in the north of England. Well, I grew up in uh, a place called Consett, Consett County, Durham. It's not too far outside of Newcastle, not too far outside of Sunderland. Half the town are red and white, half the town are black and white. If you come from the northeast, that's all that matters, football. When you're growing up there, you just want to get out. Everyone wants to get out of concert. It had a bit of a bad rep for being run down. You know, you, you always want to try and get out of concert, but going back recently, you, you realize just how beautiful it is. Growing up there, and, and I know how important your childhood scripting is on what you end up doing in, in life. Um, yeah, I think it made us. Look, you've faced some challenges with your family. Are you okay talking about that a little bit? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's, it's part of the story. It's part of, I think, what's created some of the resilience uh, that I think you need as a coach. Tell me how things went later, you know, as, a little bit later in your life as a teenager and what was going on with your family. You've got two parents that had two children before they were 20 years of age. So you've got teenagers, you know, raising two, two young children. I've got a wonderful mom, great dad. You know, they did the best for their, their kids, like, but they, they had their own issues. My father, he, he suffered from mental illness and, and that became a, a real challenge because, you know, back then mental illness isn't like it is today where there's an acceptance and an awareness that it's, it's part of life. You know, it was tough. It was tough because, you know, my mum and dad, they, they split up. And, um, you know, for me, I was, I was left, to some degree, looking after my dad. You know, and as a 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old coming through those years, you always had that image. Your dad's going to be looking after you. Um, sort of be in and out of psych wards at the time. And they weren't good places back back then. There weren't places uh, that you want a young person going and seeing, to be fair, and then trying to deal with it. There were two things that happened for us, and when I've looked back on my life, the self-reliance, the, the indomitable will, and I think those two things were formed in those four years, where you recognise that no one really gives a shit. <laughs> You're on your own here, and uh, you've got choices to make. But as a young man, you, you went, I don't want anything from anyone. I, I, I'm, this is it, I'm on my own. So I think all of that has just put us in, like I come back to, to moments, like none of the jobs I've been in have been easy. Like I've learned how to fight, I've learned how to, to push, to, to convince, to, to, to drive. And I think a lot of it came from those, those tough years. Uh, credit to Stephen Brunt, yeah. Mark McDonald, the entire team that put that together. Credit, quite frankly, to John Herdman for being so vulnerable and honest and showing where his fight and his strength comes from. It's really, really uh, an interesting look inside to his psyche, and uh, it makes sense as to how he became uh, the leader of, of both men and women that he is. It's so funny. Like, I, 
have always I, I immediately like John Herbman because of his accent. I think he's, okay. it's, he sounds uh, more intelligent than, than me for sure. sure. Um, and then you peel back the layers of who he is as a person and who he is as a, as a coach. And I mean, it just gets more and more impressive and more and more likable, yeah. quite frankly. So uh, wishing him good luck for sure coming yeah. up. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I have a little bit of breaking news. Okay. And it goes back to the baseball world, not from soccer. Uh, Sam Bloom is reporting that Angels GM Perry Manassian has said Shohei Otani will not be traded this offseason. So that removes about, um, we were expecting, what, a couple months of drama just to talk about where Shohei Otani could possibly go. And that doesn't look like he's going to be going anywhere. This seems like it means if the Angels somehow catch lightning in a bottle, at least they have him, but then you go to the trade deadline. If they're bad again, which they most likely will be, that's when they'll probably look to be trading Shohei Otani. And you wonder what the drop-off would be from trading him now versus trading him at the trade deadline, but they'll still get a huge haul then, so they're holding on to him. I mean, like, we all know where this is going. Where is it going? The Blue Jays acquire him at the deadline? Well, I mean, I'd love that, but no, I mean, like, (laughs) him not being there to end his career. So, like, can, why can't we have nice things? I know. It, it would be much, and him playing it would be much on, more fun. A contending team yeah. for an entire year mm-hmm. would, would be a nice thing. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. No. Uh, you know what's going to happen? Uh, more great conversation on this very show. Coming up, the Raptors impressive last night in their first game without Pascal Siakam as they took care of the Bulls. They're right back at it tonight as they face the Bulls in Chicago this time. We'll talk all things Raptors with the Ringers. Sirit Sohi next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. And one of the things I like to do is to circle back to some of the great conversations we have on platforms like this very show. And this summer, we talked extensively about Chris Boussard's comments about Kevin Durant's maybe apprehension around coming to Toronto and how African-Americans feel about the country. And so now that we've had some space away from those comments and now that Kevin Durant might be traded again, we thought we'd circle back to that conversation and not ask me, because who cares about my opinion, ask the actual black Americans playing for the Raptors right now. And so that's what we did. And here's how they feel about those comments and the relationship with the country and the city. You know, my whole goal when I first got here was to make this whole city and this whole country be known. It's like we always got the short end of the stick. to go to Toronto. And you're right, Nick, I visited there many times. Obviously, I was there covering the league. Great city. But, Twan, you know, it's not America, and you feel it when you're there. I'm telling Man, you. Man, turn that off. I did it as a joke. As an African-American, when you heard Chris Broussard's comments, what'd you think? He could have said all of that without the African-American part, too, because it is true. When you're here, it's not America, and you can feel that it's not America. It's a different place. I mean, listen. There's racism everywhere. There's damn sure racists in Canada. There's damn sure racists in Toronto. It exists, and we have to address that and acknowledge that in order to move forward, and that's one thing Americans don't like to do. Toronto of all places showed up as a potential destination for Kevin Durant. Fox analyst Chris Broussard suggested that a certain apprehension remains for African-American viewers about playing in Canada. I've had my ups and downs with Toronto being traded and all that. But one thing Toronto is not is a popular city for an African American. 
He would have some weight to his comments if that was back in 1998-99. Kendall Gill threatened to retire rather than play in Trump. With Kenny Anderson and Alonzo Mourning refused to join the team after they were acquired. And we all witnessed the departures of Damon, T-Mac, Vince, and Kawhi. All the bad things I've heard have to do with the business of the NBA and kind of how we are positioned as a team that's not in the same country as all the other teams. So the city is incredible. It's the top city in the NBA, top fan base in the NBA. But there's just certain things that, you know, you're, you're in a different country and there's no way around that. Yes, the culture's different. The money is different. We're different. But does that mean we're not loved? We're not wanted? No, it's not America, and you feel it when you're there, I'm telling you, especially as an African-American. When you first heard uh, those comments, what did you think? Bull crap. I don't know what experience he had, but I don't think it's accurate. Just not, not that smart, like, not that bright. What is he even talking about? That's the highest form of ignorance. You don't really see that much diversity in America. I mean, to see a lot of that here is, is, is that comment is way far-fetched, like, doesn't even make sense. How would you rate Toronto in comparison to other NBA cities? Top five, top two. You can literally see people from all over the world here, you know, like players, you know, all you hear is always good things. It's great being in Canada. It's very diverse where everybody gets along, everybody just can bond here. Do you hear this? respect to these fans, to this country. This is unbelievable. What is the feeling about Toronto as an NBA city amongst your brethren? I could tell you, I for one, that a lot of people love coming to Toronto. Being on the basketball team playing for Canada, it's like people love you, you know, it's like a, it's like a no other feeling, like it's unique. They're ride or dies with you no matter what, and they just show you mad love and support. As a player for the Raptors, I've had an incredible time. I've been treated with nothing but respect and love and admiration, and my family as well. Toronto is a very special place for me. I wouldn't change a thing. It makes me proud to see the development of the city and how far it's come. Sometimes I get mad because I'm like, this is how it was supposed to be when I was here. If you had to pitch a free agent to come here, what would your sell job be? What would you say? I wouldn't have to sell it. I think people know it's like a great city. Just, and there's a lot of energy in the city, so it's, it's a nice place, fun place to be. I think everybody that's played here has loved it here. It definitely is one of the top NBA cities, for sure. Obviously, you know, the fans is amazing. You know, whether you're playing against or for the Toronto Raptors, it's just being in an atmosphere like that where the fans are cheering. It's amazing, you know, just to be in an arena like that. You heard it from them. I'm a black Canadian, so I am biased, but we need an unbiased and real smart perspective. And Sirit Sahui always delivers those things. Thank you once again for joining us. And before we talk about the present day Raptors uh, and the drama going on in the league, uh, you 
are covering essentially almost exclusively many American players. You're covering the sport in America for the ringer, doing an amazing job. But you've been a fan for this team in this market for a long time. What is your understanding of the relationship between uh, American players and Toronto? I mean, I've never really heard anything negative other than the cold, right? That's the first thing anybody says. Uh, but players love coming to Toronto. They're here in summer all the time. And there are also things that, you know, Fred mentioned the business side of it. But, you know, the Canadian dollar is also, that converts pretty nicely if you're making American money. Uh, people love just the downtown. There's a lot to do. The nightlife is great. I think if you're... If you're a young NBA player with a lot of disposable income, Toronto is a really great place to be. And I think we see that, you know, teams, when they travel, I think maybe a few years ago it would have been different, but Toronto's really on the map now as a fun place to be. So they'll come in and they'll spend an extra night in Toronto as opposed to the place that they were in before, you know, and that to me is always the biggest sign. Like, where are you actually spending your time? And, you know, the Hawks, the Hawks were here for, for two nights before, uh, before taking off, right? Like that's that's just one example from last week, and and they love it here. And I've I've heard great things of, uh, about Toronto from their players, and you hear it all the time. Like you know, players trade recommend uh, recommendations for restaurants. Like they understand the restaurant seat is amazing, and the diversity is amazing, and they get to see a lot of different things that you wouldn't necessarily see anywhere else. Like yes, it's different. As somebody who is now, you know, I've I've I moved to America. It's different, right? Like anytime you are going to a new country, it's different. But different isn't necessarily always a bad thing. It's just getting used to sort of like the, the small idiosyncrasies in your life changing. But that's that that can be good. And when you mentioned the Canadian making an American money, the smile was real. So clearly uh, it, it, the glow up is, is real as well. And it's worked out for you uh, swimmingly. Uh, the glow up has been real for Pascal Siakam, who for me was playing at an all NBA first team level before he got hurt. His injury impacts this Raptors team moving forward. How? They just have to pick up the slack from pretty much everywhere else. So the great thing about Siakam is he's so good at everything that it's not necessarily one thing that they'll be losing. Like he was 19th in the NBA in scoring this year. You know, I think he was in the, the, the 20s for, for rebounding, a 10th in the NBA in assists. Uh, he's a guy who can pretty much do everything, right? While they're going to miss that in every single place, that also allows them to pick up the slack collectively as well. I think it's going to be more playmaking from Scotty Barnes. It's going to be more shooting from Fred Van Bleet, who came back yesterday, had a great bounce back game. It's going to be, you know, OG Ananobi on defense. It's going to be everybody, right? So I'm not necessarily too worried about this. I think it could actually be a really good opportunity for for them to actually grow a little bit internally. And then when Siakam comes back, see how he, he, he fits back in there too. So you know, I think they'll, I think they'll figure it out. The, the Raptors are just one of those teams, right? Like they might not, you know, they might not score for three minutes straight <laughs> and, uh, you know, they might have some ugly turnovers here and there, but eventually like fourth quarter comes around They're they're making a comeback. Uh, so you know, I think they'll grind it out. So if you got a push alert uh, and it said there's a Watergate situation and someone broke into OVO and was stealing the Raptors draft papers, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm not surprised because they continue to find guys late in the in the draft and guys who aren't drafted. Coloco seems to be the next one. Is mm -hmm. there something specific about the secret sauce that they continue to find guys who are switchable, do everything, and come in and play right away? Well, Masai Ujiri obviously has a type. I think you can, we can tell from his drafting history that 
you know, he loves long rangy players who also have great quickness, athleticism, instincts. We all see that on the court. As far as the secret sauce though, man, if you ever find out about it, please do tell me because I think they keep that stuff pretty close to the vest. They obviously are doing something right though. Like they, they do a great job of finding guys and Coloco especially is somebody who's really impressed me because when you think about the, the learning curve for big men in the NBA, we all talk about it. It's supposed to be really long, right? But like, if there's one thing that you've heard from pretty much everybody around the Raptors, it's that this guy barely makes any mistakes. And that's just really impressive for, for all that he's asked to do, right? Like he is 95th percentile in the NBA in, in blocks, according to cleaning the glass. And he's in the fifth percentile in fouls. That is incredible. A guy last night blocked six shots, right? A guy like him, he should be fouling out pretty consistently with how aggressive he is in trying to block shots. And and he, that, just, that just hasn't been the case. So that's really impressive. An organization not good at keeping things close to the vest, the Brooklyn Nets, who I'm not sure if they're playing 3D chess and trying to get from one scandal off the scent to another with the Udoka rumors. When, when you look at the now three, four-year dumpster fire that has been the Nets, what sticks out to you? I have to pick just one thing. Oh, I, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Where, where should we start? I, I really don't. I really don't know where to start. I would just say that you know this is probably NBA wide, but there is absolutely nobody in that organization that really has a lot of moral authority right now. Um, you know, you saw after you know Kyrie posted that the movie, um, you know, with a lot of anti-Semitic undertones, um, like you know, just just a lot of things that were factually incorrect uh, in that movie. Um, Joe Sai posted a tweet saying that he's going to have a conversation with Kyrie about this. Now, I don't know about you, but the way that I handle sensitive things in my relationships with other people is I do it privately first <laughs> before anything else. Um, and Joe Sai, we know, like, he's a guy whose who's, who's position on, on China is not very great. Um, you know, his, his company, Alibaba, is basically funding a genocide against the you know, the Uyghur Muslims in China, and then you've got them potentially hiring Emi Odoka, like, just not even six weeks after after he was suspended from the Boston Celtics. Uh, there's a lot in this story, in this franchise, and frankly, in this league that, that is pretty ugly. It's, uh, you know, the NBA can be a pretty nasty business, and I think I think we're seeing that from pretty much every side this week. Unfortunately, it is true. For something that we've dubbed the Progressive League, uh, they're filling out the scandal bingo card right now. But you've always given such great perspective on all those issues and on the things actually on the court. Thank you so much once again for it, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, um, love her work, both podcasts and writing. Uh, I also love the work of, of one Serge Ibaka uh, as well. Oh, the Giannis? Yes, yeah. Uh, Serge Ibaka's How Hungry Are You series is coming back, and it's back on Sportsnet, debuting next Monday on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Now, and YouTube, with new episodes every Monday. Episode 1 features Giannis, Ibaka's teammate right now in Milwaukee. Here's what we call a bit of a teaser. Nice. One day, Giannis will play for the Toronto Raptors. True or false? <sighs> Why are you doing this to me, man? That's what I call a teaser. 
I like it. Yeah, that's a teaser. We're gonna have to see the rest of that. Yeah, I would watch anything with Giannis in it. He's, he's, he's is he like is he the most likable player in the NBA? Just speaking of all the bad things that are happening in the NBA right now, Giannis is one a shining light. I mean, I think league. Steph Curry and Scotty Barnes are on that podium with him. Who's mm-hmm. one, two, and three? You decide. But yeah, he's definitely. Up there. He, he has a love affair with smoothies. Like, how do you not love this guy? Yeah, he's, he's so cool. Yeah. And he's pretty good, too. Well, well, take a break. Go get a smoothie for yourself. Nice. One last break. We'll wrap things up with game time next. Starts with Tim and Friends. Here's a look at the night of action on Sportsnet. Coming up on Sportsnet 1, the Flames try and snap their losing streak as they hit the road to face the Islanders. Hockey Central is at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet, followed by the Oilers and Caps on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. We've also got Monday Night Raw on 360 and NBA action on Sportsnet now all the time. And now, it is game time. School basketball team didn't do that. Yeah, that's a good point. Most did. Most my, did. My. It is game time. Yours did. Yeah. Football too or just basketball? Uh, just basketball. All right. Uh, it's game time as we focus in on the events that you will be watching tonight. And it's a milestone night for Connor McDavid. He'll play in his 500th career game against the Capitals. Hard to believe it's already 500. McDavid is off to a hot start with 12 goals and 25 points in 12 games this season, leading the NHL in both categories. Here's where he ranks among the highest all-time scorers through 500 career games. His 722 points puts him sixth on the list. He would need eight points tonight to tie Yari Curry for fifth. Mm, it's gonna be tough. It's possible. This is Connor McDavid. Of course, sure. he's going up against another all-time great tonight. And when you compare McDavid's stats to Alexander Ovechkin's first 500 games, Ovi has the edge in goals, but that's about it with McDavid leading in assists, points, plus minus, and game-winning goals. What's the most memorable moment of Connor McDavid's career so far for you? Uh, keeping it 100, it is his airport photo with Gladys <laughs> and Gary in Terminal B in That's 2017. Like he, my guy, he's never been more stiff. Uh, <laughs> and they're loving every minute. Oh, just hey, can we get another angle? And can, horizontal yeah. portrait. Okay, great. Thank you, Connor. You know what? I, I my mind immediately went to, to on ice stuff, but that is just I, I'm not sure my answer is going to be any better. Than and that. that's that's pre-COVID, where like it wasn't a real thing to have people that close to you. Yeah, no, that's that's an iconic photo, like based, straight up, it is. Uh, I I'm going to go with the the Rangers goal from last year. Oh, I mean, of course. the one against four video game stuff, uh, overtime game, Kevin Lowe jersey retirement that night. I mean, this is just ridiculous like yeah I know he scored a lot of a lot of goals like that that have ended up on the highlight reel a lot of them as we just went through but that one for me is probably the best of his career and I, I don't really know from an on ice perspective how you could say anything else so the exact opposite in terms of emotions and my choice did Tim <laughs> pull out a jock strap on the show the next day exactly yeah he did that that is a great memory he hit it right behind there well, yeah. I can't lie the right. producer just told me my oh, okay Fair enough. Uh, we asked uh, uh, the viewers as well to chime in. What's the most memorable Ooh, moment of Connor nice. McDavid's career so far? Just a couple answers here. Rick says last year's playoffs, he was crazy special. Those first two rounds. That's that, true. No question about that, he was. Uh, undressing Morgan Riley in Toronto, January 2020, because everybody loves to, Let to hate on lives. these. Yeah. Um, his commercials is... Uh, uh, 
That one's trending. I have to, I have to say, there's a lot of people who are, who are digging the commercials lately, especially the one with, with Gretzky. Gretzky. Low key, like, we thought Peyton Manning had nothing until the commercials then. He had a nice run. Connor could be the same. Yeah, it is possible. Uh, all right, let's go to um, the other team in Alberta, the suddenly slumping Flames. We'll play their first game outside of Alberta this season when they visit the Islanders tonight after winning five of their first six games. Calgary has lost four in a row. So I ask you, could getting away from Calgary be a good thing? Have you looked at your weather app lately? Yeah. Funny it, you should say. It could. I actually have it up right here. We, we have balmy seasonal temperatures to in southern Ontario right now. Literally people golfing in Toronto and the GTA yesterday and this is from City News Calgary. Calgarians are dealing with frigid winter conditions Monday morning with a low of minus 22, but the wind chill makes it feel more like minus 28. That is disgusting. Can't do it. And then this is the Daily Hive, November pain, Calgary to be hit by a wind chill of minus 30 degrees Celsius and record snowfall. That's just gross. And like, it, it's even, it already gets dark at like 4.45 now. And you add that to the mix? Like, that's too early for this. I, I, no joke, I would literally wake up and cry every morning. Yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's tough to stay positive when you have stuff like that. Okay, let's go to week nine in the NFL that wraps up tonight with the Ravens and the Saints on Monday Night Football. Both teams are dealing with major injury issues. New Orleans will be without Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, Mark Ingram, and Jarvis Landry. And for Baltimore, Mark Andrews, which is a massive loss, and Rashad Bateman are out. Well, Gus Edwards, Gus Buss, is doubtful. The line has moved slightly towards the Ravens, who are now favored by two points. So who you got? Not anyone fancy, that's for sure. <laughs> Not Isaiah Likely? You better have someone you can put in the flex spot yeah. if you thought someone <laughs> one of these teams was playing for you. Uh, if you got Isaiah Likely, that's a fantasy sleeper. Good yeah. for you. Uh, I've, I've got the Ravens because they have Lamar Jackson. Uh, their style of play really works no matter who's in the backfield. Mm -hmm. So I have the Ravens. Uh, the Saints are not who we thought they were. Okay, so uh, I'm two and six on my picks on oh, the year. And sweet. if the Ravens win, then okay. I'm gonna give you a little I'm just gonna give you a little you. ring for next week for Friday before I make my pick. All right. Uh, okay, we mentioned it earlier with the NBA shutting down tomorrow for the US midterm elections. All 30 teams will play tonight, and every game has a unique start time with tip-offs staggered by 15 minutes. What is this? Do you like this? I don't know what this is. It's this, so weird and random. This is like the the school prize day at the end of the year where there's just random competitions all over the, the yard. I, it, this is a fantasy, speaking of nightmare, because uh, if you're waiting on someone to potentially play and you don't know because they're playing at 8.45 and you got another guy at 7.15, um, I'm interested to see, but uh, this is too much basketball for one night. Producer Jay Sands just made a good point. You should be able to catch every finish if you want. That's true. It's staggered. That's that is true. a very good point that I didn't think of. Hey, I'm so quick to criticize. Bring court but. surfing back for one night. <laughs> Why not? We need it. Uh, that does it for us. A reminder, Hockey Central is coming up at 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet. Thanks for watching. Timmy will be back tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone.